So the joy that we have as Christians is, is different than the rest of the world during the Christmas season. We have joy because as Christians we have a brand new identity because of Christmas. Because of Christmas we have a brand new purpose. Like that's why we have joy. It's not just because of the gifts and the lights and the whatever. Christmas really changes everything about our purpose, our identity, who we are. That's why we get to have joy. And with that said, have you ever, have you ever wondered where the term Christian even came from? You ever thought about that? Like, where did that word come from, Christian? Where did it, where did it even begin? A um, couple of interesting facts. That word Christian is only found three times in the Bible, ever. That probably shocks a lot of you. You would have thought that that would have been more in the Bible. It's only three times ever used. Um, the term was actually a mocking term. It was not a term that Christians gave themselves it was people mocking people who followed Christ. And so this is where this word comes from. And the reason I ask is because that title, Christian, a lot of times can be the end-all, be-all of our identity as believers. Just the word itself. For instance, you go fill out a form to apply for a school or maybe to go to the doctor and it says, what religion are you? And you put Christian. Like, like what does that even mean? Like, what is that term? It's easy to say it, but is there any substance to it? And, and so, now the, I'm, I'm going to propose a different word, and that word being disciple. In contrast, the word disciple is used over 230 times in the Gospels and Acts alone. That's quite a difference, isn't it? So what is that? That's a word we really can sink our teeth into. That's a word that has meaning. It actually has a lot of meaning. And, and that's what we've been talking about where we've made it in the book of Luke. A disciple was this in practical terms. All Jewish boys were trained and they were taught. All of them. The elite were then kind of sucked in and into more school and they became rabbis. Rabbis then grabbed some pupils and taught them. And that's what it meant to be a disciple. It was literally to follow, to, to walk like that person, to talk like that person, to act like that person, to begin to be around them so much that you begin to imitate them. That's the difference between Christian and disciple. And so, in Luke, we've been seeing this in very practical ways. If God's gracious to us today... We'll do part two of our study of Luke chapter 5. And we'll wrap this up to see that the price to follow Christ is absolutely free. But it will cost you everything. Let's pray together. So Lord, as we come to this text, we do have joy. We have joy not as the world has joy in flippant ways. We've got a joy that our identity's been changed, that our purpose has been changed, that our meaning has been changed. And, and, to, and so today, we want to take that and, and, and just kind of let the text speak to us once again of, okay, what does that mean? How does that, how does that, how do we fit in the category of disciple? Do we look like you? Do we walk like you? Do we talk like you? Do our, do our lives embody that in, in very practical ways? And so, God, I pray that today um, that we will walk out of here 
following you and imitating you in in a greater substance than we have ever before. Um, Or at least be challenged by the text. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Be seated. Well, let's just jump right into the text. If you are a guest with us today, we do want to say again, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. It really is an honor to have you here. You need to know this about us. Uh, We don't teach topically at Safe Haven. So in other words, we don't take a topic and then just kind of talk about it. We just go straight through the books of the Bible. Um, We've been in Luke for some 12 weeks now, and we've made it to chapter 5. If that tells you anything about kind of how we process through the text. We just let it speak to us because we don't think we can come up with anything better than what God has given us in His Holy Word. And so we've made it through that, and we're journeying through. And so we made it to Luke chapter, the end of chapter 4 last week, and I want to read it again, and then we'll jump into chapter 5 and, and kind of wrap up part 2 of what does it mean to just do something as a Christian? Just do something, anything. So here's where we were. Um, and when it was day... He went and departed into a desolate place. We've made it to Jesus' activity now to where he's a little bit exhausted. And so he's taking a break. And we looked last week at what solitude meant. If you weren't here with us, please go to the website and check that out. That may be what you need more than anything is to follow Christ in just getting away and taking a breath. and, And retreating to solitude. So we looked at that. Jesus went to a desolate place. So how can we follow him in that? And the people sought him and they came to him. And would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. So we saw number two. To be a disciple, there's activity. Non-stop. We're always doing something. So we see Jesus modeling that. Now we make it into chapter 5. And on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. And then getting into one of the boats. So we looked at what it meant to just... Following Christ a lot of times just looks like being aware of your surroundings. (laughs) Jesus didn't do anything special. He said, there's a boat. I'm going to use it to talk to my friends. All right. So he, he just took what was around him. Um, which was Simon's, and he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. So now, this is where we've made it. Jesus has taken a boat, and he's turned it into a pulpit. And he is sharing with his friends at this point. So this is where we've made it. So those are the three things so far. To be a disciple, one of our takeaways practically are, what does solitude look like? What does our activity look like? And then what does just awareness of the surroundings that we have around us look like for us to imitate Christ and to grow in Him, all right? So that's where we're at. Now, chapter 5, verse 4, part 2 of this continuing journey. What else can we learn? I think there's three more things we can learn before we jump on into the rest of the text. Um, and here's where we're at today. And when he had finished speaking... He said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and we took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boats to come and to help them. And they came and they filled both the boats so that they began to sink. Take away four. 
is. What does it mean just to do something is this? Obedience is dynamic. Just being obedient in and of itself is is dynamite in the believer's or Christian's life. That word dynamic, I use that on purpose because a lot of you guys know this. The word that dynamic comes from is dunamis in the Greek. Literally, it's where we get dynamite from. If we took a stick of dynamite and we lit that sucker right here on stage, boom, two things would occur. Number one, we'd get a new building. Um, And then number two... (laughs) Number two, it would just explode. It would, it would produce something. It would produce a change. And we see that in the disciples' life. Just their raw obedience, boom, did something in this moment. Simon Peter's obedience specifically changed others. It changed everybody around him, but it also changed himself. It, it changed the whole nature of what was going on on this fishing trip. Now, I find it interesting here a couple of things. One is this, that hesitant obedience was still considered obedience nonetheless. I like that. That really challenged my thinking this week because I heard all my life growing up, delayed obedience is... Come on, some of y'all heard this too. It works better when you... Delayed obedience is disobedience, yeah. And I think there's truth to that. But I think one of the cool things in here is... Peter was hesitant, but it was still counted unto him as obedience. I really like that. And the reason I say that is because in the gospel, as believers, the grace of Christianity is you can always do today what you wish you would have done yesterday. Now, with that said, that was considered obedience in this point. The danger of that, of course, is when we delay obedience, delay obedience, delay obedience, we have the danger of slipping straight into rebellion. No doubt about that. We can head right off into rebellion. But in this moment, um, as the old idiom says, he'll either get you by hook or by crook. And he got Peter in this moment. He got him. Whether it was the shock of the fish or whatever it was, for some reason he was drawn to obedience. And this obedience, what Christ was telling him to do, changed the dynamic of everything. And the question obviously is this. What's the Lord calling you to do? Like what level of obedience, what is he asking you to do? Obeying the the hard things, the hard directions... That's the mark of a follower of Christ. So if we ask the question that we asked at the beginning, what does it mean to be a Christian? One of the things we see is it's doing the hard things that the Lord asks you to do. Hence, mocking as a Christianity. Now, when I say all that, I say this, the the key to obedience, because I kind of contemplated this for myself. Why is it that I struggle so much with obedience? When the Lord prompts me to do this, or prompts me not to do that, or prompts me to study this or prompts me to say that or prompts me to change this or you guys all know those things in your life what the Lord's asking you why is it so hard to do that and I thought about the key in this text the key to obedience I think in this text is and so often in life the ability to ignore what you see before you and just obey what you hear the Lord telling you to do that's what I think so hard. Because for me, when the Lord prompts me to do something, my first thing is I want to look out and go, I can't do that. 
I can't do that because I see this, I see this, I see this, I see this. Lord, do you not see this is what's stacked up against me to obey you? And the Lord's going, are you going to look around at what you see or are you just going to obey in what, I he- what you hear me telling you to do? And that's exactly what Peter did. With his eyes in this text, here's what he saw. Jesus comes up and goes, hey, let's go fishing. And he goes, Jesus, this is what I see. That doesn't make any sense. It's the wrong time frame. We've already been fishing all day long. We can't go fishing now. The sun has already gone down. We didn't catch any fish during the prime fishing hours. So to go back doesn't make a lot of sense, Jesus. He saw that. He saw the same nets. Jesus, these are the exact same nets we just used to try to catch fish. And Jesus, you know how many we caught? Nern. We didn't catch a one. And you want us to use the same nets with the same bait at a wrong time frame. And then he saw the same boat. (laughs) Jesus, it's the same boat. The fish have already seen this boat. They're not biting around our boat. How are we going to drive back out there with the same boat, the same nets, the same bait, and get anything different? And in this moment, he saw all of this with his eyes, but he chose to listen with his ears. He chose to listen. All he heard was, do this. And he did it, and it rocked everyone's world. So, what's the Lord asking you to do? To get rid of? Or to engage in? Because there's, there's both the positive and neg- negative aspects of obedience, right? We all know the Lord calls us to do certain things that we know we're doing that we shouldn't be doing. Or, or whatever it looks like in the negative term. To get rid of this. To, to carve that out. To expose the calloused areas of our hearts. These are the things that... Jesus, I'm trusting you for my salvation, but man, this is what I'm holding dear because I like it. And we justify it. And we see that and we go, I I can't get rid of that. So there are the negative components of stop doing, but there's also the positive components of the Lord going, hey, engage in. Give your life away for this person, that mission, this change, whatever it is. So there's the positive and what is the Lord calling you to do. Now here's the fun thing. I love, I love this about pastoring. I didn't give you any specifics. But there's no doubt in my mind specifics happened all over the room. When I just lobbed out the generality, how many of you would be honest and raise your hand and go, yeah, I think the Lord just spoke to me in this certain area. Just raise your hand. That's the crazy thing about the Holy Spirit. Question is not, will you look around and give reasons why you can't, or will you just simply obey and go, I hear you, Lord. I'm going to trust you, even if it's the same boat, the same bait, the same net, and the wrong time, and see if dynamite doesn't occur in your life. Let's obey. I think that's what following Christ looks like. And then verse 8 keeps going. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees. Now that's strange. Saying, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Take away number five as we continue in our part two of the series. As a disciple, worship is the goal. Worship is the goal. 
We see that in his life. Everyone was amazed at Jesus' miracle. But what was Simon Peter amazed at? Jesus. Everybody else was blown away. Look at the fish. Look at the fish. Look at the fish. It's like that show, the, the big catch. Yeah, look. At, we got the big bounty. And then Simon Peter goes, forget the fish. Look at that guy. And he drops to his knees. It's pretty cool in the text. I, I think that's something pretty astonishing here. Notice the essence of real, authentic, genuine repentance. Is that Simon Peter realized that Christ is what Christ offers. Christ is what Christ offers. Maybe you've grown up in religion and faith and Christianity and all that kind of statement. And all your life, all you've ever thought about is, I just want what Christ can do. How he can change my life, how he can change things, how he can... And you've never realized that Christianity doesn't begin with Jesus as a magician doing things for you. It begins with just Jesus being Jesus. That's what Christianity offers. It offers Christ. Whether he ever changes your bank account or changes your health or whatever has nothing to do with who he is. And Peter saw it and he said, that guy is different. And he drops to his knees. It changed him in the moment. And so, we, again, we, we see this essence of genuine, authentic, real repentance. I say that and then we'll keep going on. Here's false repentance. False repentance is, well, I'm upset that I got caught doing what I shouldn't have done. And I feel bad and I know better than I, sh- I shouldn't have done that. That's false repentance. That's a lot like a five-year-old who has had the iPad... Mm-hmm. got the iPad taken away from them for something they did wrong. And now, what do they want? They just want the iPad. <laughs> I'll do whatever I can do to get the iPad. If, it's, if I need to generate some tears, Mom, I'm so sorry. I... Some of y'all heard that on the way to church this morning, didn't you? <laughs> you heard, you're like, Troy, were you looking into my car? You heard it on the way. I'll do whatever I can do. They got caught. They felt bad about it. They knew they should have done better, but they really just want the iPad back. That's false repentance. And it's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer calls, and rightly terms, cheap grace. And here's how I define false repentance. False worship grabs for the do not be afraid grace without grasping the depart-from-me truth. There is an order to repentance. And I think we see it in Peter's life here. He didn't just instantly go, grace, 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 grace. And he wouldn't have done that because he's standing in a boat, right? He didn't go, grace, 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 grace. His first instinct was, boom, depart from me. I'm a sinner. I'm gross. Seeing the brilliancy of Christ exposed... The rottenness within. That was his first response. Have you come to Christ in that way? Your initial response is, boom, I worship you out of the fact that you are holy and you are other and you are different. And I realize that. That's false repentance. Now, true repentance is this, what we see in Peter. First response, I'm a sinner. I have indeed offended God's holiness. And the collapse that he experienced 
was not drawn out by anybody else. The Holy Spirit just got him. Just got him. Some of you right now, you remember that moment, don't you? You remember that moment where Jesus became so brilliant in your life that nobody had to say, drop to your knees. You remember that? You just collapsed. You said, what was me? He's holy. I'm not. That's genuine repentance. Real worship collapses the knee in first the depart from me truth, but then it does indeed arise to the do not be afraid grace. That's the beauty of Christianity. The beauty of Christianity is that he didn't hide, he didn't care about what anybody else thought in the boat. He was just bluntly honest. And then the next words he hears out of his mouth in his blunt honesty is, do not be afraid. That's grace. It's grace. So I want to take this moment before we wrap it up. And I just want to share the gospel with you. And Lord, I am asking you to take this moment more than anything else and make it fruitful. Here's the scandalous news of the gospel. That God created in perfection. He's wholly other. There's, there's nothing like him. There's no spot. There's no blemish. There's no wrinkle. There's no anything. But then mankind chose, the first Adam, chose to rebel and say, I don't want that. I don't want your holy standard. I want what I want. And it's real easy for us to go, Adam and Eve, how stupid they are. Until we look in the old mirror. Amen? And we realize we do the same thing. We would have done the same thing. We chose the same thing. We chose to rebel. And in that moment, decay began. And the curse was given. And the curse was death. Death and decay that that still fills the hospitals now that was never meant to occur and then death and decay that comes into our souls that separates us eternally from God. We can't go to His holiness because we're not holy. And so if you look around the room and go, well then the way that I'll get saved is I'll work my way to to be holy just like Him. Well, there's a problem. Here's the problem. How's that going for you? You can't do it. You can't measure up. You can never measure. You cannot attain His holiness. Not only because you can't do it, because you, but because you hadn't done it. <laughs> and because you're tarnished once, you're, you're tarnished forever. That's a big, big problem. And then a greater solution stepped on the scene when the Son, the divine Son of God, the, the Holy One, the, the, the Godhead three in one, stepped out and said, I will step into their world and I will live the life they cannot live. I'll live perfectly from birth to death. Not only will I live perfectly, but I'll achieve the holiness of God. I will keep every single law, all 613 commandments in the Old Testament. I'll keep every single one of them because they won't. And then the scandalous news of the gospel. And so the one who bows their knees and recognizes their sinfulness and acknowledges my holiness, I will stand up and I will take my righteousness and put it in their bank account and I will say to them, do not be afraid because you're trusting in me. 
That's the gospel. And so for all those who call upon the name of the Lord, and you can do that today. The offer is extended to you today. Whosoever will in this room, call. And if your heart, as I'm proclaiming the gospel, is being drawn, respond. And you go, how do I respond? Like Peter. (laughs) Woe is me. Depart from me. But then turn and look at Jesus and trust that he is who he said he is. He did what he said he accomplished. And that he really is able to give you the righteousness that he earned to bring about your salvation. Trust in that. And upon the promises of the word of God, those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Today. Call on him. He was buried And then he rose again, proving that the Father accepted his substitution. Therefore, he has the right to give salvation to those whom trust in him. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. Unbeliever, have you ever come to that point? Where you've been like, depart from me, Jesus. I'm gross. But then have you also embraced the good news of if you've done that, that he gladly looks on you and says, don't fear. I got you. I got you. I'll cover it. That was for the unbeliever. Now, believer, I want to share the gospel with you. You ready for it? It's just the same. (laughs) There's no difference. Except believer, we believe that not one time, but every single morning. Every morning as the believer looks like waking up going, the sun came up and I'm still not worthy to be in your presence, Lord. But by grace, I'm trusting that it is well with my soul because it is finished in your work. That's the hope of the gospel. And then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and they followed him. Take away six. Abandonment is the response. Total abandonment. Abandonment. They left their nets. They left their boats. They left their jobs. Ultimately, they left their religion. And some of y'all may, may need to leave religion and just come to Jesus. You're working your fingers to the bone to prove how good you are. And you got to realize you can't do it. Christ alone did it. And they followed him. Three things in this text. I, I, think, I think I circled them all. Yeah, they, they should all be on the screen where I see this in the text. Uh, we don't have time to unpack them, but man, I hope your small groups do. Goodness gracious, this is really good. Uh, from now on... That's the divine moment that all of us as believers have experienced at some point. You remember that from now on moment in your life? And I hope you do. Um, But then, we'll be catching men. That's the change of purpose. That's what Christianity looks like. From now on, I'm changing something. You're going to do this. Simply, maybe we could say it along this way. um, It's realizing that sick people aren't always laying in a hospital. 
And our purpose changes to looking around going, hey man, there's sick people all around me who just need to hear Jesus so they can get well. And then finally, they left everything and followed him. That's the necessary response. And I'm going to say this, and I said this at the end of the sermon last week, and I'll say it one more time. SHC, Safe Haven Church, is solid in the first one, the from now on moment. We get that there is nothing we can do and that Christ has to awaken our hearts unto him. We get that, don't we? We're like, yes, that's the only hope I've got. I think God is pressing in on us in number two and number three. That's what I think he's doing in our church. And I think, Luke, he is going to keep pressing until some of us are pressed and we come out refined like wine and olive oil. Thank you, Sam. And he's going to press in on some people and you're just going to pop and run away. I think he's pressing us in, will we catch men and give our lives away to catching men? And will we be totally abandoned for the cause of Christ and follow him in everything? I thought that's a, There's another story that I couldn't help but think of in contrast to this story. The whole time I kept thinking about Peter and he did all the right things. He heard the right things and he responded the right way. But I kept thinking about another story. Some of y'all are already there. Some of our pastors in the room know exactly where I'm going with this. Dan, you're already there, aren't you? Rich Young Ruler. Rich Young Ruler was totally different, wasn't he? Had the same opportunity. Will you follow me? And what did he say? No. I got too many riches, too much wealth, too many things to do. It's the contrast of stories, man. But they left everything. Biblical salvation really is best defined as lordship salvation. No doubt. The salvation part of that is substitutionary grace accepts you right where you are. So if you're in this room and you're going, I need to get my stuff together so that I can come to Christ. No. You've missed the whole message today. You can't get your stuff together enough to come to Christ. The beauty of salvation is that grace meets you Right where you are. But there is the lordship component. Lordship is required obedience will never let you stay right where you are. It will always change you. It will always do something. It will always move you. It will always morph you. It will always grow you. It will always cause you to say no to certain things and yes to other things. It will change things. Lordship, salvation. So with this text in mind... What is the Lord calling you to do with your life? Full circle. Christian. What's he calling you to do? Better yet, disciple. So if you're a kid in this room, and we do have a lot of kids who are in here, what does the Lord want you to do with your life? What's he calling you to do? I believe in your ability to hear from the Holy Spirit. If he spoke to John in his mother's womb... He can speak to you. What's he calling you to do? Teenagers in the room. What's he calling you to do? What's he asking you to do? Will you do it? Collegiates in the room. What's he asking you to do? And you're like, I don't know, Troy. That's why I'm here. <laughs> I don't. What's he asking you to do? Will, will you do it? Professionals in the room. You're not out of this boat. What's he asking you to do this week? Today? 
And then there's one more group, and y'all are hoping that I'm not going to call you out. But I'm going to. Retirees. Don't waste your life. What is he asking you to do? Will you give it away for his glory? William Steele, as I close. If you don't know who William Steele is, I introduced Jarrett to him recently. He's a, he's a Scottish pastor. Got a phenomenal booming voice. I try to imitate it, but I'll sound odd and it'll be weird. And I'll be, go listen to anything William Steele has out there. He's dead, but he's a phenomenal communicator. Was. I don't, know if you can, I, I don't know how it works, but William, if you can hear me, I, it wasn't a mockery. I'm for you, brother. In a booming Scottish accent, he responds in this way to this text. It turns out that the one who was engaged in catching men was an expert in catching fish. And the ones who were engaged in catching fish were experts at catching men. They just hadn't realized it yet. And maybe you're in this room going, but I can't. And the Lord's going, you're an expert. Will you just throw the net out there? Let's pray together. So Lord, as we've looked at what it looks like to be a Christian, we feel that side of, but I don't have the right tackle box. I don't have the right boat. I don't have the right net. I don't have the right whatever. God, that we'll just realize that you're not asking us if we have the right stuff. You're just asking us to throw out the net in obedience and watch you make the fish jump in it. So Lord, I pray that today we've seen once again what it means to be a follower of Christ on earth. That you've given us solitude as a gift, activity as an essential, awareness as indispensable, obedience that's dynamic, worship being the goal, abandonment being the outcome, just leaving all that. That we'll we'll feel all of that. And again, as we prayed, as we started this morning, that we'll walk out of here different than when we came in. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, church...